Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Voices Behind the Game. I'm Jeremy Roberts. Thanks so much for joining us. In this episode, we got to sit down with Allah Abdelnabi. It's always fun to hear my dad talk about his interactions with Allah when he comes to town for Philly games. They get along so well, and it's difficult to imagine a nicer, more grounded person in the NBA. Allah is a former Duke standout. He was drafted in the first round for the Portland Trailblazers. He's currently the color commentator on TV broadcasts for the Philadelphia 76ers. We cover a myriad of subjects in this episode that I know you will find very interesting, including what it's like to be a late bloomer and get into AAU basketball and what that looked like being recruited by almost every major college in the country and finally ending up at the legendary program at Duke and Coach K. We talk about the NBA in its former state and in its current state and kind of compare what that's like. We also talk about the not-so-old debate between whether or not Ben Simmons was actually a rookie when he went up against Donovan Mitchell for the Rookie of the Year award about three years ago. It's fun to kind of rehash that a little bit just to find out what everybody's opinion is. So pull up a chair, turn up your radio, and I know that you will thoroughly enjoy this episode with Allah Abdelmabi. so much for joining us i mean it, it's thanks for, uh, thanks for thinking of me absolutely absolutely like i like i was telling you over text uh i, I always hear great Allah abdullabi stories from my dad when uh you know when when philly comes to town that one time of year and uh it's so it's so cool to actually get a chance to talk with you well likewise and um i can't even begin to tell you how i feel about your dad your dad is uh he's an institution he um he's an nba legend and it's just nice to see familiar faces when you, like you said, only come once a year. But gosh, since 1990, my rookie year, um, we go all the way back. So yeah, you bet you we do. Bless your heart. Yeah. Uh, plus, we're, plus, did you do summer league? Yeah, you bet. I did. You so, bet. Yeah. And, so and I and I came to the Utah summer league pre rookie year and after my rookie year. Um, so I, yeah, and I remember, I just remember crossing paths with you many, many times. Well, then you got to hear me as well, Allah, because I, back then, uh, I did the summer league with my dad. And so you did. I did. Yep, I did. And so it was, uh, oh, man, yeah. how old were you back then, Jeremy? So I was, so you were coming in 89. Is that right? 90, 90, the summer of 90. Okay. So uh, in the summer of 90, that's when I graduated high school. That was the first year. That was my first year doing the summer league. Except I kind of sounded like this because I was a little, I was a little more nervous back then. And uh, but uh, yeah, it was fun. You know, it was. Uh, and, and what was the high school that they held it in? East. East. That was East High. East. You bet. That's it. East. East. That's right. Did it, did it have red lanes? Yes. Yeah. East. Yeah. Uh, East High. Uh, well. East also is, and, and I haven't seen it. My kids have High School Musical. That's it was all filmed at East High School. So if you have kids, is that, right? that is right. So not only was it graced with Allah Abdelnabi, it was also. <laughs> 
Zac Efron and the whole, you know, the, the high school musical that. crew uh, cohabitated at uh, East High School. <laughs> the fondest the experience. Yeah, love, that's right. Yeah. Love the, the fondest experience I ever had was at East High School when Carl was, uh, I think, his second year. I can't remember for sure. It was rookie or second, one of the two. And he was playing a team with uh, uh, Danny Vrains and Chambers. And uh, Carl was being Carl. And uh, Carl shoved Danny Vrains out of bounds, just literally put his hands on him and shoved him out of bounds. Vrains held onto the ball and went about five feet, caught himself in the air, landed on his feet. He wound up and let Carl have that ball right in his back, right in the square of his back. It, he was, he was so, he was so mad and so upset that uh, he didn't care what had happened. And he was ready yeah. to go with Carl. He was ready to take it on. And the that's saying something. You got to be pretty heated to go. To yeah, go to and he was. That's the, that's the interesting thing. He was absolutely furious. And uh, wow. Carl pulled the same thing on uh, Chambers. And Chambers Chambers had a little more fear in his eyes, even that he was looking <laughs> Carl in the eye. But he had just a little more fear. And uh, as a consequence, all he did was walk away from Carl, utter a profanity of major proportions for me laughing, of course. But then he, uh, he uh, let him know that it was a BS thing to do. And if all they just wanted to do is play basketball, and why in God's name he couldn't do that? It was, it was, you know, and the East, the the crowd in there was packed to the walls. If they'd have had yeah, people that, that could sit on everybody's shoulders, because the gym was pretty he, small, but it was the gym was very small. They were right on top of you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You remember that? That's I remember the, way the baselines too. The baselines, they were right there. Yeah, That's right. Exactly. It's exactly right. Yeah. Talk about coming from from Duke. In an incident, you played with Quinn Snyder, right? For all the jazz fans yeah. listening, you played with Quinn Snyder. We'll talk about that and his uh, propensity for knitting and whatnot. And then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so talk about coming from Duke, which you know ACC is the, uh, the 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 pinnacle, especially especially back then, the pinnacle of college basketball. You know, Coach K, um, storied programs just down the road from North Carolina. Dean Dome and all that. Talk about going from that to playing in a rookie league in a in a quote unquote podunk gym that's uh, with everybody piled up right on the sidelines. Well, I, I can tell you this: it's, it both common themes uh, linking the two, linking the pro Duke program and the games you play there, and then coming to playing in is the competition. Um, when you're th when you're in a scenario where there's multiple teams like the summer league has, and you're playing once a day against guys who are in the summer league still playing for jobs, not necessarily guaranteed roster spots at all, maybe not even guaranteed an invitation in the fall. Right. Um, and so they're hungry. And in some respects, summer league is much harder than fall camp. A lot more veterans back then, too, right? Well, yeah, and and I was the only rookie that year for the Trailblazers. So, basically, Summer League was for me. Mm. Uh, Jeff Petrie, the general manager, even said so in so many words. Huh. Because, well, because there were 11 guaranteed contracts, and I was the first-round pick. Um, 
So back then there were only 12 guys on a roster. That was basically it. Um, and that Portland team, if you recall, had just come back from losing in the finals to the Pistons. Right. Um, in what, that June. So that's so, a, a Drexler team, Terry Porter, that team? or Exactly, right. exactly. So was Sabonis team, still there? No, Sabonis hadn't come yet. He hadn't come yet. Oh, okay. Time. Yeah. He was my all-time, one of my all-time Portland favorites. I love watching oh, him play. He was he was unbelievable. Yeah, he was incredible. I remember seeing him play against the United States team in 1986, and he was lighter. He This was before his injuries, his Achilles, and he was the greatest. I mean, and I, I grew up loving Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He was my hero as far as the epitome of big men. Mm. Uh, but then to watch the way Arvidas played the big man spot, um, I never seen anything like it. He was a guard yeah. with a seven-foot-three body. He, um, <laughs> he, he was the epitome was, of, the, of, the, of the stretch big before it ever had a name. Yeah, and he was the best passing big guy outside of Bill Walton that I have ever seen, um, and that that was why he was it was an eye opener for me back then. But, but no, I was there before, but I got onto a team basically that was intact. Right. They were the number two. They were the second best team in the world, and they really weren't going to do much to change it. Um, and I just came in and filled that last spot. So I was coming in knowing that I had a spot, but still. I knew I had to play well in summer league to have a chance to even crack that Portland lineup sure. um, in in the fall. So my job wasn't necessarily the people in front of me. It was more just about me. Um, I'm the only guy there. They have, what, 15, 16 other people. None of them are really going to make the team, but they're there to kind of make me go through the motions and, and, and play well. Um, and so that was my focus was just to go in there and do what I can not to try to do too much, um, and try to impress because I, I knew the, the overall picture really didn't include me come fall time. So my job was to impress. Sure. Looked like you, um, you doubled your minutes per game in your second year and you also doubled your scoring. So you were, um, you got a chance to play a little bit more and score a little bit more. So somehow they found uh, your versatility um, well worth the uh, effort to get you in. Well, I think what it was was a, a year of just kind of putting my head down, not playing in games. Um, I was in the by 30 club. We were up by 30 or down by 30. That's when you saw me come in the game. Right. Um, but I think after uh, of just eating a year, I had a year of eating humble pie and just working on my game, coming to the gym early, leaving late. Um, they kind of, their confidence in me grew. Um, let's face it. I mean, that, that's the bottom line is a coach puts you in because he want, he thinks you could help him win. And to get to that point, he has to have confidence in you. And what did Rick Adelman know of Allah at the time? He didn't know anything, but what he did know was I was a worker, I was dependable, um, and I really loved the game. And so come the second year, I got a chance, and I played practically every every night um, on a team that was really, really good, and I can tell you that's a great feeling to contribute. For sure. Um, especially especially um, how much the first year hurt. 
Um, I couldn't comprehend making all that money and not playing when the year before for Coach K, I would have run through a wall for nothing. Yeah, so, I get that. Um, I get that. So talk about that. I mean, because that's a, a unique perspective, I think, Ala, to say to have the the wherewithal to say I'm making all this money and I'm not playing versus I just came aware from a program where I was the star or I was the one of the top two people. I deserve to play, you know, I'm I'm the king of the hill and now I'm being put in my place. You know, that happened a lot with uh, rookies in Jerry Sloan's system here in Utah because they, he wanted them to earn it where they, yeah. they, they had a little bit more entitlement. So your perspective sounds a little bit different than maybe what the Garden Variety NBA perspective is. Well, I, I, you know, I'm close to my family and it was weird to make 10 to 12 times more than your dad did for doing, <laughs> wow. for doing, for doing nothing, <laughs> right, especially, right. especially compared to, you know, to my dad worked hard. You know, my dad was, you know, he was my role model. Um, so to be collecting and cashing those checks and living in a nice place and having a nice car and having all these nice clothes and going to work and my work was basically before the game. Um, my work wasn't during the game. My work during the game was to cheer. And so, yeah, it was, it was difficult. Yeah. I, I did. <laughs> I did not like that year at all. My mom used to watch games on TNT late at night and she would see me with one arm, like my elbow on my knee and my, my face basically in my hand. Mm-hmm. And she would say, and you know, I'm sulking, you know, just not yeah. happy. Right. And she would, and she knew she knows her son and she would say, Baby, please don't sit like that. Please don't sit like that. Because she knows how unhappy I was, no matter again, you didn't play for the money when I was a little kid, when I first started. And that's how I felt then. I would have played for nothing to just to be in the NBA. Um, but I didn't dream about sitting on the bench in the NBA. Sure. So so how did that start? for you all how, how did you get into basketball coming from the background because you were the first player born in egypt to break into the nba correct correct yeah abdul nader from oklahoma city is the second now which is kind of cool um well i can tell you i i, I grew up a, being egyptian being an immigrant uh we lived in the new york uh city area northern new jersey um i was a soccer buff i i soccer was number one you know where we sure. come from soccer like you know like the rest of the world outside of the states and canada soccer is basically number one and um i would go to school we, we used to we used to have seen tickets to the new york cosmos the cosmos mm. played about six miles from where i lived in giant stadium so i grew up watching Pelé and franz beckenbauer Giorgio canalio carlos alberto all these legends of the game um and so i was the kid who used to come to school with a soccer ball <laughs> and school and school would start at eight i'd get there at seven me and my buddies and we would play soccer until the bell rang the first bell and then we would go in but we would go in. I remember every day walking into class completely drenched because we <laughs> would just go hard. We we would run for an hour. We loved it that much. And so my fifth grade class, my, my homeroom, my teacher, her name was Jean Tennis, lovely lady. Across the hall in the, uh, in the other, uh, I guess, a, a down the hallway classroom, was a gentleman by the name of Fred Balava. And Fred Balava was about six foot five, 
a towering guy when you're in fifth grade. Sure. Um, huge. That's yeah, huge. That's huge. He's huge. And he, you know, he would always stand in front of his door while Miss Tennis would stand in front of her door and we would file in. So he would see me all the time with the ball and he would tease me because Fred Balava, I didn't mention, was the assistant high school coach in our town. Ah. Yes. And so he would tease me about the soccer ball and he's like, oh, you're playing that sissy game. And, uh, you know, this is, you got to remember, this is, this was back in the seventies where soccer, you know, was just a budding sport around here. Sure. Um, so he would tease me about it. And then he would say, uh, you know, he, it never got to basketball. And then a couple of weeks had passed. And then finally one day he just said to me, you know, you're tall enough to play basketball. Have you ever thought about it? And I said, well, listen, the only thing I know about basketball is what my dad told me about the Knicks and Walt Frazier and Willis Reed, Bill Bradley. But I don't, you know, I've never really played. I mean, I've messed around on the court, but I've never really played. He says to me, come uh, to the gym tomorrow in our grammar school. Come to the gym tomorrow and, and um, we'll, we'll, we'll play a little. I'm like, okay, fine. Reluctantly, I say fine. And were you taller than well, everybody at that point? Fifth grade, I was probably five eight. Okay. Not 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 small, but certainly not not super tall. But I mean, for for fifth grade, it's yeah, I was one of the taller kids in class for sure. Sure. Um, and I didn't show up. Ooh. I didn't go because in my heart, I didn't really want to play. I, I and and he and he terrified me. I go lie. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was just an imposing figure, and he was coach-like to me in that, you know, he was uh, not harsh, but, you know, he spoke with the declaratively. He was, you know, he was commanding in his presence. So he kind of scared me a little bit. Um, so I didn't show up, but there was no way around not seeing him the next day. And he just ripped into me the next day and he goes, I'm coming to get you and we're going to go play. I was like, oh God, well, there's no way around this now. So after class, after school is over, I, I hate to be long-winded about this, but no, no, after, don't worry about it. No, after, you stay after, there. Yeah. <laughs> after the day's over, he comes and grabs me. I'm still putting my books together, and he comes and grabs me. And he goes, "Let's go." So in our gym, as in a lot of grammar schools, the gym's the cafeteria. It's a, got a stage. It's multi-purpose, and it's got eight-foot rims. So we're walking down. <laughs> Um, to the gym and all of a sudden I see a, a young man walk over and he says hey coach and coach and uh, Mr. Balava says hey Dave glad you can make it Allah this is Dave Dave Seepert was his name I don't know who Dave Seepert is Dave Seepert is the captain of the, of the varsity high school basketball team <laughs> right now and, and I'm thinking in retrospect like I was the captain of my high school varsity basketball team. If my coach said to me, "Let's go meet a fifth grader," yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I would have went, I would have gone, but I don't know what I would have thought. Sure, you know, like why am I wasting my on a fifth grader? Like this guy's got to be something. <laughs> and and believe me, I was nothing at the time. I hadn't even played. So it, it just shows you. Um, I guess that Mr. Balava saw something. I don't know. There's some perception um, there. That's obvious. Yeah, yeah. There was some evaluation being done without me knowing it. <laughs> and um, I just remember I didn't, I didn't know how to dribble. I didn't know how to shoot. 
I just remember being able to run up and down, dribble when I could, run. He didn't hinder me or tell me I couldn't do this or couldn't do that. I just remember feeling so free being able to run. And then on those eight foot rims, being able to dunk yeah. in fifth grade because 10 foot rims, you couldn't do that, obviously. Um, but just I, 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 the feeling I got never left me that day. And basketball is the only thing that makes me feel that way. It still gives me that feeling. You were up to six feet by then, I guess, huh? In seventh grade? Very much so, yeah, very much so. By, by, by the time I was in seventh grade, I was probably 5'11". Five eleven. I, I can tell you my growth spurt exactly when it happened. I was a freshman in um, high school uh, in April. No, March, we were doing baseball physicals. I was six one. Okay. In, in March, when we came back to do fall physicals, I was six seven and a half. Wow. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all I remember from that <laughs> summer, gentlemen, is my knees hurt the whole oh. summer <laughs> because I was growing at a ridiculous rate. With when I went to get some, when I when I went to get um, ready for school in the fall. You check and see what old clothes still fit, and then you go buy what you need for the upcoming school year. Right. Well, all my pants turned into capri pants. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were all mid-calf, oh, all of yeah. them. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. Uh, yeah, it was crazy. So when when did you start getting recruited or getting noticed by, uh, by college coaches? It's funny you ask, because I was a late bloomer in sure. regards to the – you know, like we were talking about, like some people now, they get recognized in fifth and sixth grade. For me, um, I had n- walking pneumonia my freshman year mm. um, in the fall. And so I spent all a month, all of November in, um, in the hospital and wound up having to get surgery to get two uh, grapefruit sized balls of pus like out of my lungs oh my gosh Jeez Louise. yeah yeah you yeah, know it was i yeah it was it was bad it was bad um so after that um and since it was on my lungs and my left lung had completely collapsed um it was hard to get out of the hospital and to go running on the basketball court sure um i tried it <laughs> i tried it uh, but i just couldn't do it i just couldn't do it and the coach was great coach murray at the time was great um then um, I was okay by the time spring came along, I was able to play baseball, but then we moved. So then I moved to a new town, Bloomfield. Um, luckily for me, it's a three-year school. So everybody's coming in kind of new because there was two grand, uh, two middle schools that had to converge. Mm. So there's a lot of new faces. I was able to kind of squeeze in there with all the new faces and adjust. I'm still friends with the same guys I made on, I met on orientation day. Um, before our sophomore year, there's six of us and we're still friends to this day, which oh, is kind of cool. neat. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. But I got to that school and there were all seniors on the basketball team and being the newbie again, they didn't know me. They didn't trust me. And I, and quite frankly, I wasn't that good. Um, they kind of just sat me and let the seniors do their thing until it, it was to the point where the seniors, we were bad. We were like nine and 16 and the coach was like, Hey, listen, what do we do? You know, you, we might as well play. you." Right. And you're, so and got, this is your sophomore year, correct? My sophomore year. Sophomore correct. year. 
which is very late because when you think about the blue chip guys, by the time they're sophomores, they're stars. Absolutely, their their blue chip guys are getting are are getting picked out when they're in sixth grade these days. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's what I mean. So when you think about me, I've I've gone through three quarters of my sophomore year and I haven't even played. I'm on the JV team, and there's six games left. Um, and the coach, Coach Niblett, um, at, at the time, uh, says, well, listen, I'm going to, I might as well play, you, you know, got to see what, you know, you're the future. These guys are gone, <laughs> you know, so we got to, we got to get you some minutes for next year. So the last six games I played, and I think I might've averaged like 12 points, which isn't bad for a no, guy. Hell no. That, really, I mean, you know what's going on. Our, <laughs> our conference was loaded. Like we had, we had, uh, Teams from uh, Patterson, like you know the movie Lean on Me, Patterson East Side. Yeah, with Joe Clark, the bat with the principal with the bat. Absolutely. That yes, they were in our conference. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> we played we played them home and away. <laughs> yes, yes, we did, <laughs> and we beat them my senior year there. And I'll tell you a story about rushing to the bus before the crowd. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> because we didn't know what to do at halftime. We grabbed our stuff and we're like, guys, we might win this game. We can't, we don't have time to come back to the locker room. Just bring your stuff and put it behind the bench. Cause if we win, we got to make a break for it. Wow. <laughs> it was that yeah. tough a school. So, with, oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So, and, that, and that just shows you what our conference was like. Our conference was loaded. So when you played in, the, in it was called the NNJIL section 10. And if you played in our, it was the toughest conference in New Jersey. Um, so coming out of that, those last six games, I guess the coach saw something. Season's over, and we're not, and I'm in the locker room just grabbing my stuff out of the locker, and he comes up to me and he says, "Hey, listen, I've been here for a long time. I'm going to retire." Now this gentleman, he'd be, he'd coached I guess ten years, um, and he just had enough. <laughs> he didn't want he didn't want to coach anymore. So now I'm like, well, God, this kind of leaves him, you know, the future up. I don't, I got to. Find a, we got to find a new guy, and I hope I get along with him because I liked him. Um, he says, but I will tell you this. You're good enough that you should go down to Newark. There's the uh, AAU tryouts for New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Now, he's speaking Greek to me. I've never heard of AAU. I don't know what they do. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Nothing. But he says the tryouts are this Friday saturday and sunday um and i already got you in they know you're coming down i go wow okay so i go down and i walk into a gym with about 300 people maybe in it Mm -hmm. for for 12 spots right wow yeah yeah and and i'm and i'll tell you straight up like i'm coming from the suburbs I like my mom and dad are home with me all the time. We have meals. We have we have meals at the dinner table nightly. Like I came from a comfortable background. Right. Um, I was not uh, deprived of of things. Um, I was very very lucky. Um, but you put me in a gym with three hundred of the hungriest people, because most basketball players don't come from areas like I come from. Right, they come from the inner city, and especially on the East Coast back there. I mean, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. We're talking about Newark, Jersey City, Patterson. These are all, you know, it, these are all tough places, and when you and and they produce tough people, 
I wasn't tough at that time. I was soft. Would it be safe to say um, you were the only Egyptian in the building? Would that be? Uh... Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> yes. No question about it. Good. Yeah, absolutely. And um, they could sense that. You know, they could sure. sense like, oh, this kid, yeah, he doesn't. He's never been through what I've been through. And wow. the first that Friday in that Friday night, I just remember like, you know how you get like your dish rag or you get like a rag and you're wiping your car with and it, you kind of just throw it from side to side. That was me in the gym. It felt like I was just kind of because they were playing a kind of basketball that I had never seen mm-hmm. up close. You know, the the intensity um, from which they played, uh, I, I never saw that before. And it, and it kind of took me off, you know, caught me off guard. And I just remember feeling like I'd been through a whirlwind, mm. you know, like sensory overload. Like sure. it was just too much for me. Um, but at the end, the, co- the, the coaches who were picking said, listen, we, ha- you know, thank you for your time. We're going to be back tomorrow for two days um, since it's Saturday when there's no school. Um, and everybody gets to come back. So I'm like, okay, great. No cuts because I would have cut, cut me. <laughs> right? I would, if I'm about, I would have cut me. <laughs> were there a lot of kids that could dunk back then? Uh, Allah? Oh my, there were oh, a lot yeah. of kids that could do a lot of things I couldn't do. It was, it really was, it was overwhelming. I, the sense of drowning come, came to me. <laughs> but so I, I just, and I used to, the thing I didn't tell you too was uh, Newark from where I live is about 20 miles. So it took two different buses to get there. So about an hour and 20 minutes to get there from where I live. So now I'm taking the bus back and it, I, I've been beaten up. I, I've, just, I've been put through the ringer, so to speak. Right. And I come home. My mom tells the story because I really don't remember it. Mom tells the story of me coming through the front door. I, I say hello to both of them. I like in a grunt kind of thing. Um, I grab food from the kitchen that she's left for me and I go straight up the stairs to my room. <laughs> I don't speak. I'm not conversing. I don't <laughs> want to share like how my day went. Nothing. So I go upstairs, I shower, I eat and I'm just in my room just thinking, I'm trying to take it all in. Mm. I'm just trying like, what, what have I just been through? Like, and do I have what it takes? And do I like, do I want to do like, do I want to put my, you got to put yourself out there. Absolutely. You know, you, you're vulnerable when you're out on the floor. Mm-hmm. Do I want to put myself out there and be vulnerable against these dudes? Cause they'll kill me. And all this is going through my head. And at about, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night, I can see the, my mom's feet coming underneath my door. She knocks on the door, opens it. And she's like, baby, are you okay? And I'm like, uh-huh. She goes, are you going back tomorrow? I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> Just like that. Like, there, was, there, was no, there was no keeping me. Like, I, I don't care what I went through. Like, part of it was a challenge, too. Like, sure. Like, all right, you got me this time. But, you know, I'm going to be ready tomorrow. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you better. Did you give yourself so credit? I'm, Did you give yourself credit for the, um, not letting soccer back into your life because that could have been another walkout for you, you know? <laughs> you, kept, you kept the soccer ball deflated and you decided I'm going to go play basketball with these oh, yes. dudes. Oh, yeah, no, no, my path was, my path was chosen. That's my cool. My path was chosen. That's yeah, cool. My path was that's chosen. a, that's yeah, a significant path... moment for you right there. That's that's dynamite moment for you. That... Well, you know, 
I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what did it for me. Uh, it was. It was when I was in sixth grade in the summer, right before seventh grade. I met Dr. J. Uh-huh. Um, at a at a clinic, and there was about three thousand kids at a summer clinic. He did it at a giant stadium on the field. They brought out one of the baskets from the from the arena, the Meadowlands, and brought it into giant stadium in an end zone on the turf and he just made a lane with like tape and then they just put this basket up and he held this clinic and we all sat in the end zone oh and just listened yeah and just listened so i mean it must have been three thousand of us anyway he picked five kids and don't you know i'll made enough of an ass of himself to get chosen right and he the idea was he had said before he chose us this is why i made an ass of myself was that i'm going to give you guys a drill if each one of you can execute the drill you'll get a poster and a pair of my converse all-stars uh-huh. now i don't know if you remember but back then they used to cost 42.95 right <laughs> I, I was wearing shoes i was wearing shoes that cost about 13 14 dollars sure you know that because my my parents were still buying my clothes for me we didn't have money like that so for him to say you'll get a fresh new pair like in the box there was no way the other three thousand kids had a chance <laughs> all of, was he was he out of the aba then was that had oh, that yeah, happened you know, he, yeah he, he was with the sixers sixers okay yeah, yeah he, he was, was with philly was. okay can i interrupt just brief we he um I worked for the Utah Stars here. That was the ABA team. And okay. uh, I was there. I was with them for just shy of five years when they folded up. But they had an all-star game there in the, that I got a chance to announce for the ABA. Wow. And uh, we had dinner. I took my sweet wife, Jane, and we had dinner. And we're walking up to a table and there is Dr. J sitting at the table. We sat there and had dinner with him, and he uh, he got up and he said, it was really neat seeing you, and I'll look forward to hearing you tomorrow. And he he shook my hand and patted me on the back. I, I thought I was going to die. It was unbelievable. He's he, Listen, you're giving me goosebumps, man. Tell him because he is my favorite. And one of the fringe benefits of being of having the job I have now is I see him from time to time. And it never, ever gets old. I bet. No, I get that. I, I, I get excited like a like the 12-year-old when I first met him. I've told him that story, too. Um, when he back when I when I was in the league and he worked for NBC, he used to he used to do a couple of our games. And I told him that story. He remembered being in the Meadowlands. He thought it was a crazy setup, too. For sure. Being on, <laughs> being on the football field. On the football field. <laughs> totally. Yeah. He, you know, he said to me, he goes, how did they expect me to jump off of that thing? And I was like, oh, that's right. That's what Dr. J would say. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Um, but, but he had given me the show. So my exercise was, I had to sit in a box like position on the wall, you know, with your back up against the wall, your knees bent. If I did it for four minutes, I got, I got the shoes and the poster. I did it for four minutes. My back had oh. sunburned blisters on it because the wood, the walls of giant stadium are in the sun all day. They got hot. So oh, I yeah. put my back up against it for four minutes straight. The next day, I had blisters all wow. over my back. So you, uh, are you but saying? I didn't care. So you did, <laughs> you did wall sits. Is it, it was in a wall sit. Exactly. That you did for four exactly. minutes. Wow. For, 
Well, I was what twelve. Sure. No. I yeah. Didn't, I mean, <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't weigh anything back yeah. then. <laughs> That's so amazing. That, so that poster that he gave me, the shoes I ruined as soon as I put them on. It took like one month. <laughs> but the poster was six foot six in in length. His nice. Height. And it stood over my bed from that day till I left to go to college. And it's the first thing I saw in the morning is the last thing I saw at night every day. So when I was sitting there in high school, getting my butt kicked that first day at at, uh, AAU tryouts, when I'm laying in bed about what I'm going to do, I'm looking at that poster. Sure. And he, I don't, he was, he was just his presence um just was it, it it was it was constant in my life and he's one of those guys that i've had the good fortune with the life i've had to meet later and he's even better than i imagined him and that's a tough thing because it's unfair when you because you idolize him from afar Absolutely. and you think and it's unfair to for you to expect perfection and I know he's not a perfect human, but he's always been perfect around me. And when I've ever seen him talk or around kids, and now I get to see him more often, and he's just, he's never said a wrong word. He's articulate. He's kind. He's cool. He's smooth. Yes, he's yes. all of those things still. And uh, like I said, when I see him to this day, like I get mad at the Sixers PR when I find out like he's in the building and no one told me. Right. Like, I, <laughs> I've, I've got them all on speed dial in the middle of the game. I'll be like, why? Just why? <laughs> why? You know how I feel. Why? Well, you know, and they'll, you know, all strictly apologize. We forget because, you know, they, they're busy and they don't think to call the knucklehead up in the stands to tell him that the good doctor is making a house call. <laughs> Dr. J did stuff that I saw that had me almost speechless. I mean, there were one or two moves he did that, I mean, I, I almost, you'll forgive me for being candid, but I almost shouted into the microphone, holy shit, did you see that? <laughs> It was unbelievable. A couple of things that he did. It was, I mean, I was. It was unbelievable how good a player he was and how physical, and the control of his body that he had was just astounding. I, I'll say it again. Um, I've met a, a lot of people with the good fortune I've had. A lot of people that I've looked up to before. Some aren't. Um, some aren't what you expected of you or want them to be. Doc isn't that. Doc never disappoints. Never disappoints. And well, I, I love I, him for. I loved it. Uh, the uh, the history of the dunk that they. Uh, it, I think it was on ESPN or there's a documentary that they that was about a year ago, a year and a half ago. And uh, Doctor J in his present form, I think he's was in his sixties. Sixties time, he still dunked it. it. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, but it was just the, in the way they filmed it, the way he did it, you know, and, and it wasn't, I mean, it was just, you know, he had that smile, he had that grin, he had the Dr. J grin and he dunked it. And it was like, it, when it, I found majestic. out, when I found out that he would occasionally go up to Rucker park in New York and play at Rucker park, mm-hmm. just, just for the heck of it, I started showing up at Rucker park Really, and it's like, 
and it's like two buses and a train for me. Like it takes two and a half hours. To get there. But, I but I didn't care. Like I would, I would play, and every time like a, a car would come or somebody would be pulled up, you'd look and see if it's him. And I never saw him there, but it didn't stop me from going. Wow. So was that? Did you play a Rucker Park after you had the AAU tryout or before? Oh no! After I after. wasn't good enough before. So let gotcha. me finish this story. Long story short, the second day that Saturday. I redeem myself. <laughs> nice. By Sunday, I make the team. All right. Um, cool. Which is insane. Yeah, which is insane. Now we start traveling all over the country. We're playing against the best from every region. Right. And then we've got tournaments where we're playing. I remember playing against Glenn Rice. I remember playing against um, Ramil Robinson. I remember mm. playing against Terry Mills. I remember mm -hmm. uh, all, there was a lot of, a lot of talent. Um, Derek Coleman. Wow. Um, J.R. Reed, uh, Scott Williams. Yeah, these are all guys my year, no less. Was uh, Larry, Larry Johnson would have been around then too, wouldn't he? Larry was after me. Larry, Larry's after you, okay. Larry, yeah, Larry was, I think, two years after me. So when I was a senior, he was a sophomore. That's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we go around and we play, and in between um, playing those games – I also uh, coached Niblet from my high school and said, and call this guy named Howard Garfinkel. He runs this camp um, called Five Star Basketball. Camp. Mm -hmm. And let's see, you know, just ask him if he'll take you. So I literally just called him Garf. God love him. God rest his soul. Now, um, we, we were great friends because he we just hit it off from day one. Um he loved the Jewish-Egyptian aspect of it. He would bring that up all the time. <laughs> he, really, he really took me under under his wing. Um, my first – I call him, Gar, Mr. Garfinkel, I'm blah, blah, blah. You might as well say Joe Schmo. I'm nobody to him. And he says to me, of course, we got a spot for you. Come to uh, Five Star Pit 1. It's the best week. It's going to be in Pittsburgh at uh, Robert Morris College. And you should also come in August up in the Poconos, too. Now, he's trying. He told me later. He's trying to sell me to come to as many camps. And he doesn't know how good I am. Of course. Yet, but he's figuring, hey, listen, might as well get it for a couple of weeks. We'll make a couple bucks off the kid. <laughs> <laughs> that was his job. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, that's exactly yeah. That's his job. That was his job. Yeah. <laughs> problem with that right so it, it, it turned out to benefit me so it, we both won but i get to the first week in pittsburgh again i'm nobody i know not nothing and instead of there's three levels there's the nba level there's the nca level then there's the high school level he puts me in the middle of nca level the the nba level has guys like jeff lebo danny ferry Steve Bucknall. Mm. These are the guys that are in the same week I'm in, but they're playing against each other. I'm not, I'm never going to play against them. So when our games were over, we'd go watch them. On my team is Rick Fox. Really? Also, wow. Also, a no, nobody knows him. He's coming mm -hmm. from Canada via the Bahamas. Right. I still don't know exactly where Rick's from. But, but, Rick's on my team, right? So me and him are wide, eyes wide open the whole week, trying to take it all in. It's his first time to. By the end of the week, I get most improved in the uh, NCA division. Wow. And 
in between. Yeah, now this is after playing a couple of AAU games, so I've gotten better. Sure. And then um, go back to AAU for the rest of the summer, and then in late August I go back up to Owensdale, the Poconos, for the last week um, that we talked about with Garth. Mm-hmm. Now this week, unlike the pit one week, this week is open to college coaches. Pit one wasn't; it was a closed session. They weren't recruiting that week. Right. Um, and I'm in the NBA. Hmm. I'm not. I'm not in the NCAA anymore. So now I'm going up against all of these guys, and somehow I hung in there. Didn't play great, but I I could have played better. But I made the All Star team. Wow, and were you were you full size then? I was six ten. I was six ten two oh five. Okay. <laughs> I was I was rail thin, but I was six ten, and I didn't know what the coaches see, but I see John Thompson, Coach K, Coach Knight, Riley Massimino, Jim Beheim. I mean, they're all there, Dean Smith. They're all there, and here I am playing, and they're all watching me and nine other guys. But they're watching me play, and it's just it's surreal. Sure. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> well, anyway, I-, I wound up making most improved in the NBA, same as I did in the beginning of the summer. Take the trophy home about about three days before the first day of school starts. We get to the first day of school. I'm in homeroom, Mrs. Walsh's class. We haven't even gone to first period yet. And over the loudspeaker, my, my guidance counselor, Ms. Gaska, says, Ms. Walsh, can Allah Abdelnabi please come down to my office immediately? And you know, high school back then, all the kids in the class here, that's like, like, ooh. ooh yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, what could I possibly done? I literally haven't been to a class yet. Like, this is, this is weird. So she looks at me, Ms. Walsh, she goes, you better go, young man. So off I go. I got my books and we're going. I get to Miss Gafka's office. She's on the phone. She hangs. She's like, she sees me. She goes, "I'll call you back later." With like a like a mean voice. I'm like, "Oh God, this is not." Good. <laughs> she hangs up the phone. She goes, "Son, sit right here. I'll be right back." And I'm like, "Oh God, oh God, what is she? Gonna, who's she going to get? What what's happening here?" And about five minutes pass. It felt like an eternity. I hear keys jingling, and I hear more than one person coming back with Miss Gafka. She left alone, but now she's coming. I'm like, oh, God, who does she have? The police? Who did she call? Because <laughs> my mind is racing now. Like, what could I have possibly done? And I tur- she, they turn the corner, open the door to her office, and it's her and two janitors, custodians, we'll call them. And they each have a huge two-by-two cardboard box full of letters, posters, and pictures from every school in the country. Wow. And she looks at me and she says, what did you do? (laughs) They were all for you? They were all in my name. Wow. So she's coming in the first day of school, and they're like, well, Ms. Gafka, don't you uh, have Al Abdelnabi in your curriculum? She's like, yeah. He goes, well, all these letters came from him. And you know, she's got to be like, so that's what she was saying. What did you do? And I had to sit her down and explain what happened over the summer. Because it was new to me. Sure. You know, like I was still digesting it all. So someone was asking me to review it. I was like, sure. <laughs> you know, so I, I can't believe it's happening either. And you know, that, that kind of I was just going to say that. What's, what's so crazy about this story is that 
you know, the, the freshness that you have with it, the, the wide-eyed uh, aspect of it. Because 99% of those kids that you're playing against, that's what they would expect. You know, that's what they were, they were groomed to do, and they were waiting for that box of offers to come or it, the box of letters with interest to come. And, and here you have this fresh story of, of not expecting any getting to that point. It's such a polar opposite perspective of the way that kids or even, you know, now or and back then have been brought up in playing basketball of what to expect. It was also a way of escape for a lot of those kids. I mean, it, it took them away Absolutely. from the neighborhood. A way to get up, to get out and get up. Yep. That's the hunger that I was talking about earlier is those kids – saw it as a vehicle to change their lives. And all you want to do is improve yours, (laughs) which you did. No, all I want to do is just live out my dream. I just wanted to play play in the NBA. I didn't want to play because I knew it would take care of my family. My family never asked me for any money, even when I played. My dad still worked, and my mom (laughs) still worked, and they still had kids. You know, I wasn't the center end all be all you know so i think part of it was i didn't i didn't feel entitled because i never got treated that way um and maybe it was new to me too you know some of these kids go through the system now for four or five years they've been touted what i went through it in three months true wow well and they they, they've been they've been told that they're the best too i mean that's well, yeah, like you say, when you're told for so long, you start to expect. I had no expectations. This was all gravy to me. I couldn't believe any <laughs> of this was happening. You know, like it was still unbelievable to me that, like, when I walked off the court in the in in, in Honesdale, and I'm walking back to the cabins because we're up in the mountains, and Coach Massimino and Coach um, Thompson are bending their necks to get my attention. Hmm. Just so they can say hello. That's a long trip for a little kid to make. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. I'm, I'm still my mom and dad's kid. I watched you on TV. How do you, how on earth do you even know who I am? It sure. makes no sense. <laughs> that's amazing. What a story. So what that, a great story. So that was, yeah, that's the beginning. And then, you know, uh, my guidance counselor had a lot more work to do moving forward. <laughs> a, a, a ton of work so I, I, I want to transition a little bit and jump you know way ahead to now because um it, it, you're the uh color analyst for the philadelphia philadelphia 76ers right on and just strictly tv or do you tv and radio no we just do the tv just uh, tv the great tom mcginnis is the uh radio gotcha so the and you know, it's such a, a different game these days. Um, one of the things I want, want two questions, uh, and one of them will be uh, Utah Jazz related, and the other one will just be in general. What I was curious about, Ala, in looking at the game and as you commentate on it, and w- with your knowledge of your own game as, as you've talked about it, have you taken the weaknesses that you had from your game and does it help you analyze or does it help you in your analysis of watching players in today's game and, and looking at what they do and trying to paint a picture of, of how they can improve or, or how the team can play better? You know what I have going for me that a lot of people don't have. Um, and I'm, and I know how blessed and lucky I am. 
um, was I played for one of the greatest coaches to ever coach the game. For sure. And I'm talking about Coach K, obviously. Um, and I had four years under him, which nowadays nobody gets that. Right. And I learned from him what the game was supposed to look like. How, when it's done right, it's supposed to look. Now, it doesn't, it's not one way, you know, because it, there's, a, there's a number of different ways to win. It's just basketball is still basketball, no matter who it is and no matter how talented they are. You still have to put the ball in the hoop. Right. And it's all about angles. It's all about cutting. It's, all, it's about movement. It's about, it's about, it's about geometry. Absolutely. And when 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 you see it from his eyes, and we still talk, him and I, because I still have basketball questions. I'm still a student. I still want to learn. Um, and he's so up to date, and still, I mean, he's doing current things. He's not stale. He's always been somebody for change, and he embraces new new things and technology. Um, so I go to him and I ask him, you know, like, what are you, what are your thoughts about this, and what are your thoughts about that, and He's such a great resource to have, but that's what I lean on, Jeremy, to answer your question okay. um, more than anything else. My game and how I used to play, it probably plays a little bit of a role in it in that I can relate to what the guys are going through out there. Okay. Um, but beyond that, my game doesn't even – I don't think it really – I mean, I guess you, I could play now but I'd have to shoot more threes than I ever did. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you would. I actually went back and watched your highlights and um, you could play because you still, one of the things I thought you did better than most is you move without the ball really well. Like you could, you found spots that other people don't. And I wasn't a stiff. I, no, I no, stiff and, not at all. You know why? Because of soccer. Mm, that makes complete sense. And, and soccer is so about angles, too, even on a gigantic field. And I grew up playing absolutely, hockey. Absolutely. I, yeah, I, teams play a diamond. The diamond is all about yep. angles. And I, I grew up playing hockey. And hockey is it, it's all about angles and, and as fast absolutely. as they can be. And it's it, it, and I, I love the quote because Wayne Gretzky was my favorite player. And he always said, you know, I, I don't go where to where the puck is. I go to where I think it's going to be. And, <laughs> you know, and, and I think that's a little bit lost in basketball because, you know, you focus on the skill instead of the thought. I think, I think that's a, a lot of that. It gets missed. But what I liked about your game a lot was that, that movement in, in finding the spots and being cerebral about how you played. Coach well, K, you know I, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just going to say no, Co Coach K would probably um, echo in your brain that just like I'm sure it did for Quinn too when he played because I can always hear him on the sidelines talking about getting players to go to spots and 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 yep. they I mean he's talking angles all the time and I, I I'm not I'm only bringing him in because of the fact that you both went to the same school and had the same coach and so yeah no no absolutely and again like Quinn and I, we've talked basketball and we've been out on the floor at the same time for three years. We played together and you don't have time for long winded conversations. Sometimes it's a look, it's a wink, it's a lean. It's a, and those are things, the way we played basketball at Duke, which a lot of people don't do now because it takes time to teach is our offense. We never ran plays mm -hmm. like, 
we when he gave us a playbook it was about defense <laughs> we never we never had we ran one play in other words a set it was called phoenix and it was basically just bring it over to one side the two guys at the foul line come together and down screen for the jump shooter to come out from underneath the basket okay. that's the only play we ran and we and they ran it for mark allery because he was from arizona <laughs> hence the name Hence the name Phoenix. Yeah. Gotcha. So, yeah. Even though he was from Scottsdale. I never understood that. <laughs> that's funny. But, but so that's the otherwise we ran motion offense. And what motion offense is, is it, it's different every time down the floor because you're going off of what the defense is doing. Yes. So if the defense is overplaying me, I'm going backdoor. If the defense plays off of me, I'm coming to the ball. That changes every time. So now if you're the defense or if you're the opposing team prepping for us, how do you scout our offense? Because we don't know what we're doing. No, the only thing you can do is scout players at that point and their tendencies. You can't scout exactly. you can't scout offense. And I think you know, as far as when it, when I watch the Jazz play and I hear people talk about Quinn and his brilliance, and I and I know he has that. I think that he's it's almost like he's trying to second guess everything that's happening and trying to predict based upon the adjustments that other teams are going to make. And maybe that gets overly confusing because I think the nature is to look at a play and want to have it structured. And I do sure. this, and and then this is the result. But the, the best teams play off, of, let's, just like when you talked about, that, that motion and stagnancy is the, the, the killer. It kills it. it, kills it. Yeah. It's killer of, of, any, of any offense and defense for Absolutely. that matter. But, but, but I will also say, and this is, the, this is the hard part of the motion offense, is you have to have at all times at least two guys on the same page. Yes. And without words without discussions it just has to be an instance happens a circumstance occurs where a, def a defense does something and then two guys have to see it for you to be able to counteract it if one guy sees it the passer but the guy doesn't cut doesn't matter right and and that's the hard part about motion offense is you've got to practice it over and over again because you can't direct guys to go anywhere that the whole idea is that you don't know what's going to happen each time down the floor but you could just run around five guys separately and basically do nothing or if you've got you guys on the same page where you all recognize situations at the same time doing the same thing there's the back door right there there's the overplay you know what i mean like sure and that's hard that's hard does quinn run that same offense as coach k or is he modified it a tad I, I I don't think you can. I think what Quinn does, and Coach K did this too, is he would put you in sets to start your motion. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, like Coach K would have the staggered sets where there'd be two guys at the foul line and then there'd be two guys at the elbow. And it would just be a place to start. No rhyme or reason, no rule as to where you first had to cut. Again, just the place to start from. You read the defense and then you go from there. So the, I, I see that in Quinn. Um, but you got to remember, also, there's a 24-second shot clock, so you've got to get it off in at least, what, 17? Absolutely. Have some time for the offensive rebound, but you're also not walking it up the floor, so it really doesn't leave that much time to get a good shot. So it, it's hard. 
Um, and then you got to remember too, these guys are coming in young and, and, and they don't know a lot of basketball from the collegiate level. So you're, there's a lot of teaching going on in the NBA when before there wasn't. And that's changed coaching. I mean, it, it's, put, it's, it's massively changed because it's put a, a huge premium on player development. Because do you think Rick Adelman? Do you think Rick Adelman, besides in the game, do you think he ever coached me? Like, and, no. that, and I'm not knocking him. No, the, the thing is the job. The job description was different back then. Completely, <laughs> totally, Bro, totally different. Totally different. Quinn communicates every time out. I watch his eyes and his intensity in a timeout. It's unbelievable. And uh, I mean, when he comes, one of my most favorite things with him is when he comes down and there's been a bad call. And uh, his use of multisyllabic words insulting the official <laughs> as they're running by, and then he'll drop an f bomb on them just for the heck of it. You know, I've seen, just, you know, yeah, but they're out of presence. they're out right. of hearing distance, so they can't tell it. But his intensity is almost uh, um, um, infectious. It's unbelievable how intense he is. Well, coaches, um, teams are take on the character of their coaches, you know, and if if if. They're like Quinn. They're going to be all right. Absolutely. They're going to be all right. It, do you, so when you, you know, the, the big, uh, not controversy, but, you know, when Donovan Mitchell was a rookie and Ben Simmons was a rookie or, you know, as jazz fans like to say a quote-unquote rookie because he didn't play, he <laughs> sat out. You know, it, it's – how is it when – as a commentator, I mean, you're employed by the Sixers and you're seeing – they have vastly different uh, personalities, um, you know, from, as far as their public personas are concerned, and they have a lot very different games. How do you how do you compare those two when when you're paid by one team, but you're looking at it from a, a basketball purist perspective? Well, let me tell you something. Um, and I, I I think I've kind of told my bosses this. Um, there's something that I love more than Philadelphia 76er basketball. There's something that I love more than Duke basketball or trailblazer basketball or Celtic basketball or jazz basketball. And that is basketball itself. And I'm just going to call it the way I see it. Now, that being said, I don't ever belabor a point, um, especially a negative point. You know, if we've all like the TV medium, the, the play is right there. You know, right. you saw the bad pass. And I think this is where, when you were asking me earlier about my experience as a player, I think this is where it comes in in my announcing. Is I'll say something like, "Sixers have looked better, on, you know, before on that play, or you know, when they've they've executed that play better before." You know, I'll I'll try to always kind of give a little bit of an optimistic end to it, um, because what's the sense of saying, "God damn, that was the worst." Thing <laughs> <in my life." laughs> My AAU team could have scored on him there. I mean, good hell. No, yeah, yeah. What I'm saying is there's people at home saying that, you know. Right, right. Say the GD part. Yeah. I don't need to. I should come up up with something better than that. No, I get that. So Yeah, so my my perspective is, listen, basketball is a game of mistakes is what, what you do about them. Absolutely. Is uh, can I can I just ask about one player you got Embiid? He he sure. he's um, he's a, a, a to me a conglomeration of very very interesting composites and very interesting ideas, and he's really sold on himself. Does is he coachable? Does he listen, or is he just out there to to score and make people uh, humble because of how good he thinks he is? 
Uh, well, I, no, I think he's coachable. Uh, I, you know, from from what I what I gleaned from Brett Brown and the conversations I've had with him before, I, I just think for a big guy, in the way the game is played now, there are times when he gets asked to be put in situations, places out on the floor that he might not be comfortable in, you know, outside mm-hmm. because now the three point line is is so important. Um, so I think there are times when he might rebel against that. And then the body language comes out and he, it might not, not look the way um, we think he should be behaving. Um, but I think a lot of it stems from the frustration and the way he, the attention he gets. He's so good. No one oh. lets him play one one anymore. Yeah, no I get that. Play, lets him play one. You know, so that's frustrating. It's a compliment, but it's also frustrating because now you got to learn to pass out of double teams. Now you got to trust your other teammates. Now you've got to get it out quickly. So there's a, there's adjustments. I'm seeing the evolution of Joel Embiid. I think his biggest problem, and this is going to be like a tongue-in-cheek statement, is he's better than everybody he goes up against by far. Wow. That's, that's an amazing he, statement. When, he, when he's at his best, there's nobody better than him in the league. Uh, in, you know, I think you saw that in the All-Star game when they, when they actually started playing in the fourth quarter. I'm nobody could guard him, and no. and it did, the, those are the best defenders in the world, right there. Absolutely, and they were trying at that point, like hard, and right. they, they they were putting a lot of effort into it, and he dominated, and he knew that he could. Um, yep, you know, and and there is the grind of a regular season, and I think it is difficult to stay engaged for 82 games. That's just human nature, and that's I think one of the things that that separates the unbelievable superstars from you know just stars is that ability to engage basically for almost every game or at least parts of every yep. game and i agree with you i agree with you and it, so when you look at what Embiid is asked to do is part of that because of simmons you, i don't think it's an inability i think it's an unwillingness to, to shoot from outside which is really required of someone of his size and skill is Embiid put in that position because of, of what simmons is unwilling to do well, I, I think it makes it harder for sure. And I think he may be even aware of that, you know, the cause and effect kind of thing in that when you're a big guy and you do get into the post, it's a tight space to begin with. Right. Um, you know, you've got, you've got the baseline behind you. You can't be in the lane for more than three seconds. The sidelines off to the side. If there's a defender there, it's even tighter. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- all of those things I think are, he's having to adjust to. Um, and it makes life uncomfortable for him. And you, I, I think he's getting to the point where he'll embrace that uncomfort, uncomfortableness. <laughs> Excuse my, my, my language there, but <laughs> he's, he's getting there. He's getting there. I think, I think once he learns to, because it's a challenge every night, you're the best guy on the other, on the, on the opposing team. And everyone in that other locker room is talking about how to stop you first. And that. I can say, again, as a player with past experience, watching Clyde Drexler night in and night out, having to bring it when everyone in the building was expecting it of him, but yet it didn't stop everybody from the other team doing their best to stop him first. Right. And you look up at the end of the night and he still has 30. Yeah, exactly. and And you go, wow. He didn't even play well, and he still gave you thirty. And you're and you're th- and you're thinking like, 
that's what that's the next step. Like, can I do that? Yes. Because that's what the superstars have to do. There's no you can't take a night off. It's like what Joe DiMaggio said when they asked him why he plays so hard. He goes, because there's somebody up there for the first time who's never seen me play before. And I want him to know that this is how I play all the time. <laughs> wow. Can I put you on the spot with your uh, comparison of uh, Simmons rookie uh, award versus Donovan? Sure. You can ask whatever you want. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I was obviously pro Donovan, but uh, I mean, it, it, I mean, it was such it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I watched, you know, I watched Donovan a lot, but Simmons was in a, and we saw him in summer league and stuff. And I knew he was good. I, I mean, he's, he can handle the ball as for his height, as good as any tall guy I've ever seen. Yet at the same time, I'm, I was wondering if Donovan didn't earn a little closer proximity to the uh, final vote. Well, listen, I could t- let me tell you something from, from my perspective. Again, we talked about, I come from, I know I'm slanted towards the Sixers, but we're talking about basketball here. I love Donovan. I, 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 when his first year, um, I'd watch other people watch him with me and they would say, oh, he shoots too much. He's a ball hog. He's a, and I would always marvel at the fact that like you, what they didn't understand was, do you know how hard it is to be the man on a team? Like he's, he's auditioning and winning the, the, the position. Right. And, and that takes a special kind of dude, especially a rookie. Right. And <laughs> he so, took it on. He took it on. Yeah, he did. He embraced it wholeheartedly. And he always has my respect. Like, I, cause I love him because he can miss 10 shots in a row. It doesn't matter. It's, the way he goes about his business, he's just bold and brave and like, you know, he's just going to throw it, caution to the wind and see what happens. I, I like that. I like that about him a lot. I have a question um, because, again, this is you, you may think of it as uh, there's a Philly guy asking this, but there, I've heard, and, and, and I've thought this or, or I think this from time to time when you guys talk about. Uh, Donovan being a true rookie and Ben being the so-called rookie, you called him. Right, right. Quote, unquote. Quote, unquote. Um, yeah. Yeah, quote, unquote. Um, <laughs> the, I get that Ben was technically like a year a- ahead of him, mm-hmm. but weren't they both going through the 82 games for the first time, like basically the same time? Like I know, it was, but they were both experiencing the NBA season for the first time at the same time. The, I, 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 you know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. that's, that's the only, you know, that's my only question I would have to people. Like, don't get me wrong. We could argue about whether or not he was better than Ben as a player and whether or not he should have won it, whether or not Ben was a rookie or not. That's a whole nother subject. But when I hear, um, I just wonder like, yeah, it was Ben's first 82 also. Sure. That's all. No. And, and I, I totally agree. And I think what the, and, and I, I don't have an opinion one way or the other, it, it, for the most part, I think the, the argument I heard was that Ben had the advantage of being around a team and, uh, you know, being able to see what's going on and being able to be fair. behind the scenes. Fair. Yeah, no, and, that's and, fair. And, and that is that is a lot different to be able to get that type of coaching be, at, at an NBA no level, question. you know, versus, no you know, and it's, you know, again, you know, Patino is a really good coach. You know, he knows the game really well, and he certainly groomed Donovan well to come out. And, and, you know, going back to what you're saying about Donovan's aggressiveness, I think what's the only thing that holds him back is is that taking over more, ironically. You know, the 
Um, there are a few times in games where he has taken over and he has that ability to do it. And sometimes I think he defers too much. Um, really? Yeah. Right. It, and it's, and I think it's, it's getting that feel for uh, when you have to take over and really overly assert yourself at that when the when the team is getting a little bit stagnant, at, at least. Now, do you think do you do you think that's a, um, a just a, a matter of maturing and being able to sense when those moments come, or is it a matter of him maybe not? Um, I don't want to say not up to it, but maybe like I don't know, just not not wanting to grab the moment. Mm. Well, he's up for it. It's just that he doesn't. That's what I mean, he yeah. seems up for. Oh, he's it, totally right? up for it. He's yeah. up for it. He just doesn't respond in a way at times that, to me, he's using his brain a little bit. I mean, he he's so emotional. He he's he's done some dumb moves every now and then by virtue of him wanting to take it on. You get what I'm saying? He's um, trying too hard. Yes, precisely. That's exactly what I'm saying. And I, and I think it's a little bit of his personality that he's where he wants his teammates to succeed as well. And it's maybe a little bit, and this is just my complete inference of it. You know, I do not know. We are all speculating. Yeah, we're speculating (laughs) completely. (laughs) You know, it's just when I, when I look at it, because it's, you know, I've never competed that level and the stuff that I have competed at when I've messed up, it is harder for me because I am so competitive and I want to, you know, I want to win. And and if I mess up, I feel like I'm hurting my team's chance to win. And I kind of feel that he gets a little bit of that, that he, you know, recognizes that he's, he's doing everything he can to take that next step. And I think he's really close. Um, and I think he gets a little too, still too hard on himself in in the moment, and I think that derails him at that particular time. That's that's, and it, I know that's splitting hairs a little bit, but I think that's the only thing that's holding him. It's back maturity. Right now. It's maturity, in my opinion. Yeah, and 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 it's a big deal to be able to process the next play, the next play. It's about the next play. It's not about the last play. The last play you can't do over again. No, good or bad. So and I and I I'm, again this is one of the benefits of playing for one of the greatest basketball minds ever. I've taken th- that that phrase is in my life like next play wh- however mm-hmm. it applies itself because the past is the past. Like you can you can think about it but you can't belabor the especially when you're in the middle of something. <laughs> you need to be focused on what's in front. So I of all like coaches taught me a million things. But the short, quick ones always stick. Next play, and, and yeah. he'll get there. He'll get uh, there. No, he will. I know he will. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because, because not because when here's here's what I think he'll learn: not being emotional after a bad play doesn't mean you don't care or you care less. It just means you're going on to the next play. Yeah, that's all. It yeah, that's all and, it means. And, and, and he's there too. He, I mean, you you'll he'll punish himself for a bad move every now and then. But on the whole, if he, I've seen him take a boinker shot and come back and you know, it, it, he's not shrugging his shoulders, but he's yeah, he, no, he let it go. Up a few unconscious shots too now. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, and I'm, I'm jealous of him. I've, <laughs> I've, I've said that on the air. I said, Listen, I said I'm not jealous i'm not jealous of too many guys in the league but donovan mitchell has the evergreen light and i love oh he does he does he does and (laughs) because what a what a great way to play if you're him and if you can put that in the middle of a winning team what a great way to play absolutely and and i think that that's where 
especially modern, I think coaching at all times, when you have that, the, the ability as a coach to see that type of talent and give that type of confidence, it, even in small doses, it goes a long way. And not, not every coach is willing to do that because they want to have too much control. And I think that that, you know, can hurt, hurt teams more than it helps them. I had Quinn as a coach for three years. I know he wore the uniform, but he was my big brother. And he was, he was the guy I went to on and off the floor. He was the guy who helped me pick classes uh, at the beginning of semester. Like Q, what should I take? Who should I take? Because I could always go to him knowing that I would get a straightforward answer, no agenda. It's just what was good for me. And he's always been that way for me. And that's, and and you know what? So we've gone, <laughs> we've taken up so much of your time, uh, but it's. I can't believe I haven't gone to the bathroom. I know it. I know it. And, and, and you know, and it, 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 it's you're fasting because of Ramadan. And I want to, you know, it, can, at some point, can we have you back? Because there's so much other stuff that I want to get to talk Listen, with you about. Anytime, man. I'm a captive. Aren't we all captive audiences now? Yes. We are. Yes. yes. Now, yeah, unfortunately, I need unfortunately. to do something for you, if you don't mind, sir. I'd like to give you, I'd like to make sure that you're aware of the fact that you have six A's. The five in your name, obviously, but the other A is a plus for the amazing human being that you are. And uh, I I just absolutely. You make me blush. I just want you to know I love you to pieces and you're an amazing human being. Amazing human being. It's a treat talking to you guys. I'm, I didn't even look at the clock until just now. Time flies, man. That's awesome. It does. It's been, been an absolute Jeremy, joy. Thank you so much. Absolutely. You have a you have a wonderful time. evening. Yep. We will do this again soon. Take care. Stay safe, please. Yeah. yeah you too. You too. Bye bye. All right. Thanks, guys. Oh, that was good. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.